And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that, and, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, I'm excited to be back in the Gospel of Mark. It's the exciting, fast-paced Gospel that just really moves at a quick pace. And uh, I call it amazing, uh, the amazing true story of Jesus, because you'll find that people are constantly looking at Jesus, seeing what he does, and responding in amazement. They're amazed by Jesus. And so I think that Jesus is the most amazing person that has ever lived, and it seems that those who saw him thought so as well. Well, this morning, uh, we uh, think as we're going through this gospel that it was written by Mark uh, and that he wrote from sermons that he heard from Simon Peter uh, himself. And it seems that Mark's main point in this book is to tell us all that Jesus did and communicate to us that he is the Messiah or the Christ, that long-awaited king who would come and deliver his people from sin and restore all things. And so for for Mark, Jesus is that guy. Now, I really appreciate Justin. Uh, He preached last week from verses 21 to 28, did a great job. And and there, uh, you'll remember that Jesus was teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum of Galilee on on the Sabbath when he demonstrated his authority over spiritual powers, over demons, by exercising them out of a man. See, Jesus' authority over demons pointed to the authority of Jesus' teaching. Now this week, we're going to turn to the shortest miracle that Jesus records in the book of Mark. And we're going to see that Jesus' authority over sickness highlights the importance of his preaching. That's our big idea. Jesus' authority over sickness actually serves to highlight his preaching ministry. Now we're going to see this in a number of ways. But as we move into it, let me just share with you a little trick to help you understand this section better. Okay, Uh, What we know is that verse 29 picks up on the same Sabbath day that began back in verse 21. After Jesus publicly cast those demons out of the man, and then he went home with Simon, who is also Peter, and his brother Andrew. So we're talking about the same day. Now, here's what we're going to see first. First, we find in this text that Jesus exercised authority over sickness in the home. Jesus exercised authority 
over sickness in the home. And we see that in verses 29 to 31. If you've got your copy of God's Word, go ahead and open that up again. We're going to look at that. Mark 1, beginning in verse 29. Here's what he says. And immediately, after casting out the demons, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Now there's a lot packed into this little text. After Jesus exercises the demons out of the man in the synagogue, he immediately heads to Simon Peter and Andrew's home with James and John. They're the fab four, right? So he's got four disciples at this point that are following him everywhere. There are going to be more to come, but right now this is sort of the core of his team. And catch this, the trip from the synagogue to Peter's house would have lasted about as long as it reads. That's quick. See, I've I've been to Capernaum on the northern sea of uh, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and I, I've actually walked the distance from the synagogue in the first century where Jesus would have sat and taught to the, the place where they believe um, Peter's house resided. Interesting place if you ever go there. Um, there's actually this octagonal Byzantine church that is levitating over it. Now, it's not magic. They've got like stilts and stuff, but it sort of hovers like the Millennium Falcon over the living place of Peter, right? And under it, they found in the past uh, 50 years, uh, a residence, a dwelling that has the name of Peter on it, which is celebrated as being the place where Peter lived in Capernaum. And, And if you look at that house in the synagogue, it's amazing. You can easily see from where you are in the synagogue to Peter's house. Not far. I mean, they say about 300 feet. I think it's shorter. And so it would have been a really quick movement to go from the synagogue where he casted out demons into that small home. Also, did you notice another important point? Not only is Jesus making a big movement from the public sphere of the synagogue to the private sphere of this home, we find that Peter has a mother-in-law. Now, I don't think you have to be a master logician to know what that means, right? It means Peter's got a wife, right? I mean, that's, if you have a mother-in-law that comes with a wife, I mean, that's actually the best way to do it. If you're going to get the mother-in-law, you, you ought to get the wife, right? But somebody said, uh, <laughs> so what does this tell us about Peter? It doesn't tell us that he had a lot of patience. That's not what it's saying. But it confirms that Paul, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, that he had a wife. Now, I don't have time to linger here, but it's interesting that the Catholic Church, which requires their Pope to be celibate, uh, actually uses and sees Peter as the ground in the first Pope. The first Pope had a wife, right? According to them, I don't, I don't know how you deal with that. But Peter's mother-in-law, he missed church. she missed church that day. Now, can you imagine... Now, Synagogue is different than church, but that's where they met met to hear from the Word of God. And can you imagine missing synagogue on the day that Jesus shows up and exercises demons out of people? I mean, isn't that just really good, a good reminder? You don't want to miss church. You just never know what's going to happen when you don't show up. But she had a good reason, right? She had the flu. And and so uh, she's sick. She's physically sick. She has the flu. She's not able to go. 
And having just seen Jesus' authority over spiritual enemies like demons, the, the disciples tell Jesus about our physical sickness, right? We've just seen what Jesus can do. I wonder if he's got something for the flu. And just catch what Jesus does in verse 31. I love this scene. It's a beautiful picture of the tenderness of Jesus. We have this all over the New Testament, but here's what he does. He came and he takes her by the hand and lifts her up. And the fever left her. And she began to serve them. Doesn't even speak to it. He just touches her and total healing comes about. Coming close. I believe Mark wants us to see a couple of things here. First, he wants us to see that King Jesus is sovereign over sickness. Do you see it? He's sovereign over sickness. There is no sickness that meets Jesus that isn't vanquished at His Word or at His touch. And notice how Jesus instantly and completely heals her. She doesn't need a recovery day when she gets sick, right? I mean, I don't know what you need after you've had the flu. Um, I know that I personally get man flu, and I need at least a week to recover after the flu. But she is immediately healed in such a way that she starts serving them in the moment. That's the way that Jesus comes and and brings healing to her. See, that, that just shows the power of Jesus. She gets to work serving God and others. And when we're sick, we should get a flu shot. Or we should get chemo or whatever the best doctors are that we could find. We should get those. We, we should pursue whatever technology offers us for healing. But sickness ought to awaken us to the need that we have of a greater physician than this world has. That's what all sickness is meant to do. See, physical sickness, friends, it is not just the problem. It is the symptom of a greater problem. But I think he wants us to see something else here in, in, in this moment of healing. Uh, Jesus also, uh, what we see in this moment is something that is easy to pass over. But did you notice how Jesus brings shalom to the home? Did you see it? He brings peace to this home that is disrupted by sickness. He is the apocalyptic battle lamb who came to defeat Satan with his own stick at the cross. And he's also the great physician who comes and gently takes the hand of a sick woman, a mother-in-law, and ushers in healing. That's our Lord. Now, you know if mama's happy, everybody's happy, right? And here we see mama get happy. We see the whole home changes, right? Things transform. See, it's, it's shalom in the home. And isn't shalom in the home what most of us most most fundamentally long for in the deepest part of our being, right? I mean, we want Jesus to come to our houses after church and fix our homes. We don't just want Jesus to remove sickness. We, we do want that. But we ultimately want to be delivered from fear of sickness. We don't even want sickness to be a possibility. And shalom in Hebrew is a, it's a beautiful word that describes the promises that are going to come with the great King that we await. See, it's a word that means peace. But not just peace in the sense of a a momentary respite from war or sickness or difficulty. No, peace in the Bible is a holistic word that speaks of uh, the fact that we aren't just been, we haven't just been freed from enemies, but we have been freed from the threat of enemies even being a potential. See, it speaks of a joyful, holistic healing where such peace breaks out that we don't even worry about any ploy to destroy our joy. You see it? Like we are, we are freed from it. And during this past presidential election, I, 
I've seen people fearful, fearful on every side, every side about who was going to win the presidency and who won the presidency. They didn't want the wrong person ruling over our nation, right? That was the great fear. But catch this, it wasn't just the wrong person ruling over our nation. I think more fundamentally, our deeper concern is how the White House will affect my house, right? How's the presidency going to affect my residency? That's what we're thinking about. And Christian, just remember that each election reminds us that we long for a leader that we will not vote on. King Jesus doesn't need us to give him authority. Jesus will return and bring a kingdom of peace whose peace will invade the most intimate rooms of our homes, our very bedrooms, so that we can be fruitful to the glory of God forevermore. That's what we're longing for. That's why elections discourage us. We are waiting for something much, much more than anything that this world can offer us. Now catch this. I believe the Fab Four got a taste of this coming kingdom as Jesus showed up in their bedroom. Just a taste. And what do they do when they have tasted this King Jesus? Uh, They couldn't wait to tell the whole city. Did you see that? Like they couldn't wait for the word to get out about this king. He's a different kind of king. Nobody's complaining about being healed and fixed. And that's where we see a second thing about Jesus here. In verses 32 to 33, Jesus publicly exercised authority spiritually and physically. He he publicly exercised authority spiritually and physically. Notice what happens in verses 32 and, and 33. Here's what he says. He says that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city shows up. And we want to see more of, of what's happened. And Jesus, we see that He heals the sick physically. Publicly. So here Jesus goes public with His authority over both the physical and spiritual world. Now, you'll notice that our text told us that it's sundown, which marks the end of the Sabbath. And that's why uh, all of a sudden everybody shows up because it's now it's legal to travel to Jesus for healing and exorcisms. And that whole city shows up at Peter's front door. Why? Uh, maybe because Peter's got a really big mouth. We know that. And maybe because some of those people who saw the exorcisms had big mouths. But either way, everybody is flocking to this home. And I don't think that we should read anything into the awe that comes uh, to him in verse 32, along with the many who were healed and had demons cast out in verse 34. You know, some might say, like, okay, so all came, but only many were helped. I don't think that's what it's saying, that he didn't heal everyone there. I think what he's saying is there were many, that all that came were many, and he, he healed many that day, all that came. I don't think that's what, what Mark intends here. I think it's more likely that Jesus healed all the many of people who came to him that day. Now, you might be asking, what kinds of sickness did Jesus heal? I mean, did he, did he just take care of the flu on that day? Well, Mark uses a word for diseases in verse 34. But if you just keep reading and tracking with Mark and through his gospel, you'll see elsewhere that Jesus heals all kinds of things. So Jesus, elsewhere, he heals the fever, leprosy, paralysis, a withered hand, a a flow of blood, a deaf and dumb man, two blind men, and a recently dead girl. Jesus shows that he has a pervasive authority over every kind of sickness and ailment. 
See, Jesus publicly demonstrates that there is no limit to His authority over demons and all sickness, even to the point of death. But we also see not just that he has authority over the the spiritual realm. Uh, Look again, he he again shows uh, that he's not just authority over physical things, but spiritual things. He silences demons once again. Here again, you'll notice in these verses that we see Jesus telling demons to keep his identity as Messiah a secret. So look with me again at verses 34 and what he says there. He says, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And then he says, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. He he tells them you can't speak. He has authority over even what they say. Now, here again, Jesus is showing us, telling demons to keep his identity as a Messiah secret. Now, you'll notice occasionally that Jesus will do something amazing. And then he will tell people or demons not to tell anyone who he is. Like, keep it a secret. It's not time for you to tell anyone. You might be thinking, well, why is Jesus keeping a secret about him being a Messiah? He needs to get the news out, right? Like, everybody needs to know about this. Jesus ought to be famous. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that when he was trying to keep a lid on this news, he, he didn't ask my five-year-old Johnny uh, to do this. Uh, when Johnny was five... Uh, I asked him to keep a secret, and that didn't go so well, right? So he's five years old, and I'm like, hey, buddy, I'm going to teach you how to care for a woman. You're going to come with me. We're going to buy mom a really nice Christmas present. And we, we chose this beautiful necklace. We were really excited about it, and uh, we, we got it, and we, we wrapped it up, and we brought it home. And as we were on the way home, I said, now, look, whatever you do, you can't tell mom what we just did. And he said, oh, no, I, I won't, Dad. I, I promise. This is so fun. This is going to be great. She's going to be so excited. You did a good job. I said, thanks, kid. And so we get home. We walk in the door, and as we're walking in, Carrie says, hey, guys, did y'all have fun? And Johnny says, mom, we just got you this beautiful necklace for Christmas. You're going to love it. Right? Why? Because he was so excited about what had happened. He just couldn't wait to tell people. Can you imagine like the Messiah showing up and it's like, don't tell anyone. It's like, how are you going to keep that under lid? Right? But here what I think we find is, is that it makes sense clearly here why he would tell demons who recognize him as Messiah to keep quiet. He does this three times in Mark's gospel. And there may be a couple of reasons for this. I mean, one is, Jesus doesn't want demons announcing him as Messiah, right? I mean, just think about it. That, that, that makes, I think, obvious sense. I mean, you wouldn't want Bernie Madoff giving your investment firm an endorsement, right? Not a good thing. Uh, if you're selling football cleats, you probably don't want to ask the Cleveland Browns to talk about how good they were. You just don't do that. And in the same way, what business does dark have with the light, right? You don't want uh, these demons uh, saying that this is the Messiah. Who can trust the demon? But I think there might be a second reason here. See, Jesus didn't want others to be confused by their own expectations of what the Messiah might be like. Many were looking for this Messiah their whole lives, for centuries, waiting When is this king, this Messiah that's been promised us going to show up? Because when he does, we know that he's going to bring us political liberation. He's going to free us from Rome. And he's also going to heal us spiritually. But he's going to heal us, he's going to lead us away from Rome, right? 
I mean, we do want to be healed spiritually. That's a big deal. But more importantly, we need a new government in town. And so I believe that what Jesus is doing is protecting them from misunderstanding what kind of Messiah he would be like. He's not the kind of Messiah that comes and immediately brings about the reign of his kingdom. But instead, he has to do something much more than just heal them. See, at this point, I believe they may have thought that Jesus was the Messiah who would deliver them from Rome, expel all the demons, and heal their sicknesses. But notice what we see here. Mark's, he's not, he's not just concerned about that. He says, Jesus has come for something more. Now, before we get there, just notice what we see here. Mark's not influenced, as some say, by a, a pre-scientific you know, absurdity that sees that any sickness is demonic, right? Oh, you got the flu? God bless you. Like you, why do we say that? Well, because you must be under demonic attack because you got you know, a sneeze or a sniffle. Like that's not the way that they viewed sickness. It's really clear in this text that there is, uh, there is sickness that is physical and then there is demonic spiritual oppression. And sometimes they come together, but not necessarily always. I think that's important. It's important for us to know that your sickness isn't Morse code for God's rejection of you always. You know? Um, it's not really ever for the, it's never for the Christian Morse code for God's rejection of you. But here are three things I think that we need to know about sickness. As, as we move on, I've said this before, but let's just remind ourselves about sickness because maybe uh, you found yourself in a new place this morning where you need to hear this more than you've heard it in the past. Uh, one is, not all sickness is due to sin. Please hear me. N- not all sickness is due to sin. And, and what I mean by that is it's not due to some specific sin that you have created. Now, yes, the fall. The fall has meant that we have uh, all been affected by the influences of sin. And that includes our bodies and our minds. And, and we, we fall under sickness because of Adam's sin. But it does not mean that every sickness that you have can be attached back to some specific horrible sin that you have created. And God is just saying, because of this, that. Right? It's not karma. That's not God, the God of karma, who says there's always going to be sort of a yin to your yang. That's not what He does. Now we know that this is true because Jesus in the Gospel of John in John 9 that taught his disciples this very lesson. You'll remember that there was a man that they approached, a man who had been blind. And the disciples look at him and they're like, so Jesus, who sinned? I mean, was it this man or his parents that he was born blind? I mean, somebody must have really messed up for God to do this to somebody. And Jesus says this, he says, it was not that this man sinned. This is Jesus. Or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, God God is going to bring glory through this sickness. It doesn't even say that the sickness was caused by God. But but that God would use this man and his blindness to bring glory to him. In fact, some of God's choice servants like Paul and Luther and Joni Erickson Tata have suffered sickness that God might be glorified in them without healing yet. Now notice I say yet. The reason I say yet is because the question is not whether or not God is going to heal us. It's not a question of if, but when, because God promises healing is coming. There's a second thing we see here that that we need to notice about sin, uh, about sickness. Not only that not all sickness is due to sin, but also that Jesus and the apostles didn't heal everyone. Did you catch that? Jesus and the apostles did not heal everyone. Uh, Now, I know he just healed everybody that came to his house, and I said that. 
But we're going to see in a minute here where he leaves before he heals everyone. In Acts 19, it says the power, it tells us about Paul, and it tells us about the power of God that was with Paul. Now, you want to talk about power. We're told with Paul that they literally were taking hankies that Paul had touched and they were taking them out to those who were sick and demon-possessed and healing them. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, his, his used tissue is healing people. That's how the power was with Paul. And yet, catch this, don't miss this in your Bibles. Paul prayed three times to remove his own thorn in the flesh, which we think was an eye condition. But 2 Corinthians 12 tells us that Paul couldn't heal himself because... God was protecting him from becoming conceited. I don't want you to get proud about those powerful hankies you're sending out. I want you to know every hanky is dependent on me. And God told him in that moment, here's what I want you to hear, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See it? Like your, your weakness is where I'm going to display my greatness. See, we can learn spiritual lessons from physical sickness. God can use it. Sickness teaches us about God's sufficient grace as we await His saving grace. Hear me. God is is wanting to teach you about all kinds of of grace that come from Him. And, And you might be in that moment where you are begging for saving grace, but what He has given you right now is His sufficient grace to make it through whatever suffering or trial you find yourself in, that He might be glorified in you, transforming you more into the image of His Son. And if the Apostle Paul needed this lesson, I know I do, and I know we do too. But not only that, we learn, the third thing we need to be knowledgeable about when we think about sickness is that some sin sickness leads to physical sickness. Now, you'll notice I said, the spiritual and the, and the physical, like, we don't always see that the physical sickness is because of some spiritual sin. But we need to hear, too, from the Scriptures that sometimes it is, right? I mean, sometimes it is. I would say probably most times it's not. Sometimes it is. And, and what we find is in 1 Corinthians 11, we see a picture of this where they're gathering around the communion table. And, and they've been doing this while treating one another in a way that does not reflect the body of Christ and that self-sacrificing love. And and it's in that context that we find that that they have some who, because of the way they're taking communion, I mean, this will make you take it serious, uh, have gotten sick even to the point of physical death. Catch that? Spiritual sin has led to physical death because of the communion table. But Christian, hear this. I know you hear that and that, that terrifies you. I mean, I know that when you get sick or you find some trial, it is hard for you not to think, what have I done to deserve this? Let me just encourage you. God always responds to us so much better than we deserve. He has done so in Christ. He has lavished us with His love in Christ. He has loved you fully and completely in Christ in a way that none of us deserve. And the future that awaits us is glorious beyond anything we can imagine. And, and yet, and yet we, we need to know that, that there are times when we get sick and we, we are fearful that God is against us rather than for us. But Christian, hear this. The discipline of the Lord for His children is always for 
They're good. Always. Every suffering, God wields it for your good and the good of others and for the glory of God. That's why 1 Corinthians ends speaking of those who were sick and died in 1 Corinthians 11.32 saying, catch this, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You see it? Jesus doesn't just want us to make it another day. He wants us with Him forever. And sin sickness can land us in the urgent care. Sin sickness can land us in the psychiatrist office or even the morgue. We need to know that. We need to take sin seriously. Now, obviously, that's not always the case. But the Bible says it sometimes is. So, brothers and sisters, when you suffer with serious pain or sickness, I know that your first impulse might be to ask, God, why did I reserve this? And maybe you've prayed for Jesus to heal you and wondered why He won't. I prayed those prayers. But even more so, I bet you feel it whenever it's your wife or your husband or your parents or your siblings or a friend that you love. And please hear me. You need to know this. This is important. Not all sickness is discipline. But God teaches and shapes us through all sickness. You hear me? Not all, not all sickness is God's discipline. But God will shape you and use it for your good every time. He will not waste your sickness. And so friends, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you not to waste your sickness. Draw near to God. In fact, I believe the best theologians suffer the greatest. People listen to you more closely when you are sick. Because I believe they know that you are closer to God, right? You know what I'm talking about. Real theologians know that we need more than freedom from Rome, sickness, and demons. We need something that saves us from death, right? We need God Himself. And if we want shalom in our homes, then we need more than an exorcist of a medicine man. And that's what, that's what I believe Jesus wants us to hear here. But there's a third and last thing that we see, and that's that Jesus is much more than an exorcist or a medicine man. He's much more than an exorcist or a medicine man. You'll notice this first in, in verse 35. I mean, just catch this. Jesus prays, right? There He says, in Mark 1.35, right after all of this, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. Some of you I know are feeling very convicted right now because you don't raise, like, rise early in the morning. And you're not coherent early in the morning, right, Pastor Mark? You know what I'm talking about. You, you, when it, if it's dark, then you're not supposed to be up because, you know, what business does the light have with the darkness, okay? But here's what's fascinating. Here's what's fascinating. Jesus just created a frenzy in Capernaum by delivering and healing people. Now, we'll talk more about the significance of, of this later, that Jesus, the God-man, prays to His heavenly Father. We're going to talk about that. But for now, this morning, I want to ask why Jesus senses the need to arise early in the morning to pray now. I mean, do you see the fervency and the urgency of His prayer? Morning hits, and He's leaping out of bed to go and get alone to pray with God. I mean, he's just had a full day of miracles. His popularity is exploding, and no one would fault him for sleeping in on that morning, right? I mean, he's Jesus. Here's what I think is happening. Mark only shows Jesus pray 
two other times. After walking on water in 646, and then in Gethsemane in 1431-32, to only other two times that he prays in this book. And I, I believe commentator James Brooks is helpful here. He says that all three times that Jesus prays in Mark, they were times of crisis when Jesus was tempted to take an easy way rather than that of suffering and death. Brothers and sisters, be careful when times are good. Be very careful when it seems like everything is going well. See, shalom in the home that isn't characterized by a vigorous pursuit of God, it could be dangerous for your soul. Uh, Maybe this morning you're young and you feel like you really haven't faced much suffering. Or or maybe uh, you're older and, and you feel like Things are going pretty well right now. You just got a raise. Uh, you know, your, your stock is up. Uh, it looks like things are going well. Maybe your candidate won. Uh, you're feeling excited about the direction of all sorts of things. Who knows? You're, you're happy this morning. Feels like a very good time in your life. And I want to encourage you to be careful. See, we can quickly fall asleep spiritually when things are good. When you're healthy. When you're doing well in school, when you're getting a raise, when you feel like you have peace at home. You ever thought about this? We, we tend to pity the sick, feel really bad for them. But it's often the healthy who are more in danger of drifting from God, drifting in prayer and faithfulness and sacrificial love and generosity and knowing God and His Word and longing for the return of Jesus to bring the healing that we truly need. Maybe some of you in your heart of hearts this morning, you're thinking, I'd kind of be okay if Jesus just paused the whole return thing, right? Like, things are great. Could he just wait for this sweet season to end and then come back? I've got things I want to do here. And it's because we have, amidst the good things in this world, forgotten about our need for the world to come. And it's easier to become distracted from Jesus' grand mission when times are good. Friends, when we're... In good times, we need to pray more, not less. Because I believe good times are more dangerous spiritually than bad. When times are bad, we reach for our Bibles. When times are good, we reach for our remotes. I don't want affliction for any of you. I mean, I would love for all of you to get raises, to be healthy, to have lots of healthy kids, to have happy marriages. And that's my, that's my hope for you. That's what I pray for you. And yet, amidst all those things, there are deeper spiritual needs that we need together. Those are the things that we ought to desire, to long for. And Christians who suffer, I believe, learn their theology so much better and deeper than others. Uh, You'll remember that Martin Luther said, were it not for tribulation, I would not understand the Bible. If it were not for hard times, for sickness, for for trials, I I would not understand the Bible. Or, Or what about Hezekiah in Isaiah 38? You'll remember that God told him he was sick unto death. And Hezekiah cried out to God and said, will you heal me? And God healed him. And his response was, behold, it was for my welfare. It was for my good that I had great bitterness. And that bitterness was his affliction. See, his sickness, he said, was good. And it was for his good that God brought it near to him. Or what about Paul when he prayed in Philippians 3.10 that he might know the power of the resurrection and may share in Christ's sufferings? All of them wanting to draw near to Jesus in their sufferings. Now, here's the problem. Any goodness and peace that we experience now in this world is only a foretaste, right? Just a a foretaste 
of one of the infinite delights, one of the many that await us when Jesus ushers us into the eternal presence of God. So the the healing of sickness is just one little thing that we desire and we don't know that there's an infinite amount of more that awaits us. And all joys in this life are merely road signs to our final destination, reminding us that this is not our home, right? Shalom in the home here in this text for a moment in eternity when we're with God in heaven forever. Catch this. We can't draw near to God, much less live with Him forever if Jesus doesn't deal with a greater problem than sickness and demons. Are you, are you hearing me? Come in close. This is the meaning of the text. He, he can heal you of the flu or, or heal you of your cancer. He can heal you physically. He can cast a demon out of you. But catch this. We have a bigger problem, right? That's why Jesus is on the move. We have the problem of sin. That's what we find in verses 36 to 39. I mean, catch this. You're thinking Jesus is healing people. He needs to stick around and keep doing this stuff. But look, look this is what happens. Verses 35, uh, 36 to 39, it says, while Jesus is praying, it says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons see sickness i believe in this text is a symptom of a much bigger issue and so is demon possession so catch this the disciples come looking for jesus and they're almost frustrated with him right like be careful about getting frustrated with the guy who walks in water they haven't seen that yet but everybody they say everybody's looking for you like what are you doing jesus don't you know that you've got appointments why are you wasting your time here praying When there's ministry to be done. Sounds like some of us sometimes. Everybody wants you. I mean, we've rounded up more sick and more demon-possessed people. They're all here. Come come do your thing, you know? And you'd expect Jesus to say, God answered my prayer. Let's go. Let's do this. But he doesn't. He says, instead of let's go heal them, he says, let's go and let's get out of here. Do you see it? Sick people this way. We're going that way. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, that doesn't seem very kind. That doesn't seem like the Jesus who comes into Peter's home and reaches down for his mother-in-law and lifts her up and heals her. He wants to leave this major city of Capernaum. That's what we think about Capernaum. Major city in the area in Galilee. And he wants to leave that to go to smaller surrounding villages like Chorazin and Bethsaida, who are awaiting the judgment of God. And don't miss what's happening here. See, Jesus opts out of healing more people. He could heal more, but he walks away. And it's not because he can't heal them. So he explains the reason. Did you catch this? Why he chooses not to stay and heal? He says, that I may preach there also. And catch this, for, this is the ground, this is why we're leaving to preach, for this is why I came out. Now we don't know why he came out, came out of what? Like came out of like the desert into Galilee or came out of Capernaum or Maybe it could be what John and Luke say is that he actually came down from heaven for this reason to preach a better gospel. See, Jesus came to preach. He healed and he cast out demons to validate his message. But the point is the word about who Jesus is and what he has come to do. See, Jesus is more than a medicine man, not less, but much more. 
And Jesus could remove demons and heal our sickness. But he's saying here, I believe that the symptoms that you're seeing that are so important to you are really part of a a far greater problem. An odious alienation from God. You are far from God. And I have come not just to heal you for a moment, but to draw you eternally into God's presence. And I can only do that if I do what I'm preaching about, which is dying so that you can repent and believe the gospel and be brought near to God. Over 50 years ago, famed Presbyterian pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse speculated on what it would look like if Satan were to take over Philadelphia. And he did this on a nationally broadcasted radio program on CBS. And his description, I believe, sounds shocking, and it might shock you too. Uh, Listen to what he says. He said, if Satan took over, all of the bars would be closed, pornography banished, and the pristine streets would be filled with tidy pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. The children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every Sunday where Christ is not preached. Come in close, brothers and sisters, when we lose sight of what we need Christ for, salvation of our sins. When we lose sight of how much we, we need Him, infinitely much so. And when we lose sight of how often we need Him, that's every moment of the day. And when we begin to believe that we were made for the kingdoms of this world rather than the kingdom that's coming, the one that wasn't made with human hands, rather than the kingdom that we are looking forward to made by God, but we're in a spiritually dangerous place. See, Jesus' authority over sickness only highlights the importance of His preaching. And, and, and this morning, if you're not a believer and you've not put your faith in Christ, let me, let me tell you the message that Christ has for you today. Repent, turn from whatever it is that you're putting your hope in and put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're sick and you're trusting in doctors and the sickness is what really should be drawing you towards Jesus because we're going to die someday and we're going to have to deal with God. And if that's you, friend, let me just tell you, don't leave this place without talking to me about how you can become part of the family of God. Jesus wants you to come to faith in Him. He wants you to be saved and He has made a way for you to draw near to God. But there's also a message, I believe, here for us. You know, this morning, I I know that we have many who are physically sick. And maybe you have those you love deeply who are physically sick. And I I want you to know that we we want to pray for you this morning. And we want you to let us pray for you this morning. See, Jesus came to preach more than healing from physical sickness. But He's not less than able to heal you. I've seen God heal and do amazing things. And uh, we want today just to turn this house once again uh, we are the house of God, and we want to make this a place uh, that is a place of prayer, where we pray for one another. And so at this time, uh, I've, I've actually encouraged uh, three couples, uh, our elders and their wives, to come down. Uh, are you guys here? Would y'all come on down? Um, they're going to just come down. Um, they're going to wait. Uh, we're going to have folks here on the left and here on the right. And we just want them to pray for you. If you've got sickness, if you've got a sickness that uh, you're struggling with and um, you're fearful of, we want them to pray for healing for you because we believe that we serve a God who heals. So in a moment, uh, Kevin is going to start uh, playing. And when he does, we're going to invite you to come on down and let us pray for you specifically by name. Uh, we're not going to call you out. We're not going to talk about what you have or anything like that. We're not going to talk about who you need to be praying for. Uh, but they're going to be down here. And so if you would, if you've got a sickness that you'd like prayed for, would you please come on down and let us pray together with you and for you? Let's do this.